with film, I think it is a bit of, for me, it was a bit of trial and error, just learning. Like I said, I look back on auditions from my first couple of years here and like, <laughs> like, when you're so inundated with just wanting to book the role so badly, yeah. you're just going to, you're going to push for what you think they want. Yeah. And it ends up being this like neutral kind of nothing. You're not making any choice because you're scared that anything, you might make the wrong one. So you try and yeah. play the most, the safest thing you can do. Scene five, take <laughs> 15. Take 15. Are we rolling right now? We're rolling. Perfect. Yeah. All right, let's take another crack at this intro. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Ballcast, everybody. Yeah. We are back, baby, from a hiatus of who knows how long when this will go up, but it's good. Yeah. I'm here with Lucas Clausen. How's it going, Lucas? It's going good. Nice. Happy to be here. Beauty. Another good episode in the books. Yeah, we uh, we, we, we have a great conversation today with uh, with Adam Beauchene. He's a local Vancouver actor who's been in the industry for a while now. He's both had... Uh, reoccurring roles and day playing roles so there's lots to learn from him he's a really solid guy and uh yeah i think you guys will enjoy this conversation anything uh anything you want to plug lucas uh yeah one quick thing to plug uh if you do employee shift scheduling and it takes you a lot of time uh check out the link in description to better hours it's a company that i started that helps uh retail spaces coffee shops with their employee shift scheduling so if that sounds interesting to you check it out i'd love to chat with you about it nice i can vouch for for what lucas is doing uh if you guys are still kind of confused about it i would highly recommend looking into it because it is genuinely a really really cool thing he's got going for him thanks it's man. a cool business it's a really cool software and uh, if you have a local business I think it will help you a lot with uh, employee shifting and stuff. So I recommend you guys looking at that. Dude, I appreciate yeah. you saying oh, that, of man. Course. My praise. A little double plug there. <laughs> there was two holes in the boat. We got both them plugged. I'm into it. Double plug. I I'm hope to make it. some money off that. <laughs> give you a kickback. Yeah, perfect. All right, guys. Enjoy the show. So I think I, a good place to kind of start the conversation, I guess, would be just your, your background and where you started. Like, So you grew up in a rural town in Alberta, you said. Yeah. I remember so, I saw an interview about that. Yeah. Uh, what city did you it's like Lethbridge, which is like... Oh, okay. I, I know, I said that, and then they posted uh, that like, little video thing for you, me, her. It was like, yeah. I went up in this rural village, and they're like, Lethbridge is like 100,000 people. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I really kind of... I didn't mean to misrepresent it, but like by my standards, when I was growing up there, it was like, you know, maybe 70,000, 65,000. Yeah. It was not like a metropolis, but... Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I was born and raised in Lethbridge. I got my degree there uh, cool. in acting. So like, I started in, in acting when I was about nine, doing um, like Kiwanis festivals and stuff. Cool. I was more interested in theater, and then uh, uh, did my degree and did a bunch of theater. Got into film a little bit, and then we do this thing when you graduate there called a merge, where you audition for uh, all the like um, artistic directors of the theater companies and agents and casting directors and stuff. And one in Calgary and one in Edmonton. You do this like big showcase do two pieces and it just so happened there was this agent there looking for people because there's this movie shooting in Calgary uh, and he contacted me and he's like I don't have time to meet you but there's an audition this weekend would you want to sign on and just go do it and I, I didn't know anything so wow. I was like yeah yes so I went and did it and super nervous and I got a call back so I went back to Calgary the next day and did yeah. it and then I, I got it and the movie went to Sundance and like no and way it was actually shows Sean Milliken from here cast it okay uh and so I was like, huh. And so a couple months later, I went to, I was just like, I guess I should go to Vancouver and try that. Wow. No way. Because it was like, just like the best experience. Yeah, like, okay. It just was like everything I, you imagine film to be where I was like, I get a trailer. Like all this like nice. superficial yeah. crap that now I'm like, oh, come <laughs> yeah. on. But like, you know, it makes you feel special, mm -hmm. like, especially coming from theater. And you get paid. <laughs> There's all these yeah, things yeah. Just like, what? What was that audition like, that first one? I was so nervous. I was so nervous. And the director, Sally Field's son, which I learned right before I went in, which no I was way. like, at the time, like this fan of her. I was watching, she was on some show I was watching at the time. And yeah. Yeah, I was frantic. And I had no idea what I was doing. Like, my degree, they didn't cover that at all. So right. Like, any film kind of acting stuff. So, yeah. I really lucked out. It was one of those just like right place at the right time. Yeah. I totally fell in love with it. And then, uh, yeah, and then just, I've been here about a decade now. It was 10 cool. years last September. So that was your introduction to, to Vancouver. That's kind of what made you move here. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, other than that, I, I would have ended up in Calgary, I think, and and still doing theater, I would imagine. Yeah. So You still do some theater, though, occasionally here, though, right or not? I, you know, I did up until maybe two years ago. Mm. I, I was working with Ensemble Theater Company, work out of the Jericho Arts Center, or used to work out of the Jericho Arts Center. There would be cool. Granville Island now, but... Um, uh, yeah, I, tr I tried for a while. Vancouver's a tough city, like, as I'm sure you know, it's really like, um, there's great theater, a lot of it is pretty geared towards kind of the tourism industry, so it's big theater, so mm -hmm. they're getting these, like, big 
name actors who are really established and have these resumes and uh, it's hard to break into that unless you really want it. So mm. I, I went to generals a few times and I tried to make that work, but um, it's an expensive city to live in if, yeah. you're, if you're doing theater because theater takes a lot of time yeah. and doesn't pay a whole lot, especially when you're getting started. So yeah. I did for a while. I, I still enjoy it, but um, it's hard to do. If your interest is in film, film kind of, it, it's got to be the priority. And it, yeah. uh, when you get a contract, you're, you're walking away from a lot of theater stuff and you end up kind of pissing people off at things. Yeah. So. I think I just decided a while ago, like, it's better. I feel like I'm missing out on it, but I know it's opening me up to some other opportunities. So yeah. that's kind of how I'm trying to look at it. Sorry, go ahead. So growing up in Alberta, yeah. um, now seeing kind of that uh, first sight into what the industry was like kind of in Vancouver. Yeah. Um, when you kind of relate that back to where you were at the time in, in Alberta, what were some of the things going on in your life where you're like, hey, you know what, this might be like the time to make the jump. And like, cause that's a pretty big decision to take on to totally move, like pack up everything. Oh, completely. Go. The thing is I had, I really, <laughs> this is kind of the story of my life. I didn't really have a plan at all. Like right. I, I knew I, I went right into my degree from, um, high school because yeah. I was just like well, I don't really want to do anything else I didn't really understand how acting could at all be a viable career because I, I didn't have my own eye on film at all nor did I think I actually had a shot at it like there was always that kind of intangible thing I thought you had to move to California yeah and, like, yeah if you weren't that one person in a million to be in movies and be making millions of dollars there wasn't another in you couldn't just make a living at it right right, right. that was my perception yeah. so like literally once I graduated during that phase when I was doing that emerge thing where we were doing those those two big auditions I got a job at Starbucks I was there for five days enough to realize how bad I was <laughs> at like multitasking yeah and then I got that movie and I was just like and it paid me enough to, to move here and live for about a year and, wow. and like oh well live me yeah yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, that's not a quote at all yeah. uh yeah, so it, so I guess it, the circumstance was just that I had nothing besides my family in yeah. Lethbridge. I really had nothing tying me there. But you had a dream to like potentially do that at one point. You just didn't know if it was practical enough. Yeah, and then once I moved here, I realized like, oh no, you can be a working actor. You can be like a, you know, a mass, you know, however many credits in a year and pay your bills and make mm -hmm. it happen, and and not necessarily be like a celebrity, right, or a star. Like, and the work can be fulfilling and. Um, and keep you busy enough to be a, like feel like a legitimate job, right? So yeah. yeah, that that totally changed my perspective once I realized that. <laughs> yeah, totally. And did you have to like supplement your income too by getting a part time job throughout? That? I did. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I uh, my first year here, I of course thought I was like you know I still in the headspace of I had a trailer. <laughs> so yeah. I was like I have. Who wants my autograph? <laughs> yeah. So I moved down here like I was king shit and kind of you know, like <laughs> right you know squandered the money that I'd made and then uh, and 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 was was fortunate you know I I got an agent pretty quickly through this YouTube thing I was doing I didn't have a reel right she knew I did, did the movie but it hadn't come out yet yeah um so uh, I ended up working a couple of day jobs I worked like a cell phone store and I sold. Um, cars for a little while like these electric wow. cars and, <laughs> it, it, it was not, it was they were all like just yeah day jobs anything that was flexible enough to allow me to still audition and prioritize that right yeah. and then about four and a half almost five years ago i um started doing voiceover uh freelancing voiceover cool. from home and that's now that become my day job so i've done that for the past four years with wow them. Yeah, so I do audiobooks and that kind of thing now. No from, way, cool. Yeah, so I have a studio there that I record from, and uh, yeah, that's been like a total game changer because that's all on my own schedule, so I don't yeah. have to be worried about you know getting shifts covered or things like that. And that's yeah, been, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's been awesome. Um, now backing up again to with in in terms of what kind of introduced you to film, was there like a defining thing that made you want to get into film, like a like a movie even, like that's a, a role? Great question. That's a really good question. Uh, I don't know. Like my, I, yeah, I had, I had for sure had things like I remember learning when Are You Afraid of the Dark, which is like right. my favorite show of mine as a kid. <laughs> that, that was what I based my YouTube channel yeah, on. Yeah, that, those yeah. Episodes. I um, I remember learning that that was filmed in Canada, mm. and that's the concept of like, well, those kids are my age, right? And ha and they're Canadian, and I was like, so there must, you know, like that was this concept where I was like, oh, then. Yeah, that, this was a job for them and kind of, you know, starting to wrap my mind around that. But there, yeah, there were for sure like, uh, 
I remember the first time I saw Requiem for a Dream. That oh. was like for some reason like such a dark, crazy movie. But but there were like some monologues in that. Like that's kind of, such a, like actors movie. Yeah. And I remember thinking with that that I'm like, man, yeah, all the all these like things I feel about theater and like the process of theater and getting to work on a character. Sure. I'm like, those actors must have gotten to do that too. Yeah. And have this huge, much wider audience for it. Yeah. And still feel like. I don't know. I, I guess that was one of the first movies I saw where I really like saw an artistic process in it. I guess totally. Um, which I don't. I think speaks less to the movie specifically more than just like the age I was reaching. Where I was mm. like, I was getting into high school level drama classes and learning about actors' yeah. process and methods and that kind of thing. So would, I was, yeah. Would you say that Jared Leto was a big influence at all? You know Ish. what's crazy? <laughs> Probably less Jared Leto and more Ellen Burstyn, which okay. is like a crazy thing to say as a thirty-three-year-old man. And at the time, of like, it's 17-year-old man. But, like, yeah, yeah something... I mean, there's a monologue she does in that movie that I remember typing out because I was so just, like... Yeah, something about her in that movie really struck me as, like... Not that I could relate to in any yeah, way. Like, yeah. there couldn't be a character further <laughs> from my own reality. But, like, yeah, she's just... She's so fantastic in that. Yeah. But, but, you, but to your point, like, that, that, that movie has four big characters that each have their own trajectory so it's a good like again it's a good like acting exercise there's a lot of mm. good chunks of like they're all meaty parts mm. so watching that whole movie you kind of get a good like yeah cross section of every demographic I right. guess. Did that, do you think that kind of influenced the way that you approach roles at all I don't know I mean probably not I tend to land on the really like pragmatic side of things in this industry and I right. feel like that movie my guess is someone like Ellen Burstyn really has more of a like organic process right she's a, she's a fantastic actor you know yeah As I'm at a level where I think I'm still very like I'm most of the time I'm being cast as a pretty close extension of myself so right yeah I tend to go from like and it works it works great <laughs> yeah I mean I try I try and like you know I, and that's I think the more the the further you go in this industry you start to get opportunities to really act you mm-hmm. know but when you're getting started it's what what you look like is that's what you're right. going to cast as, right. what yeah. you sound like. That, those, that's 90% of it. Yeah. You're lucky if you get to play something that's really kind of a departure, but that's rare. So I tend to, I tend to be, um, I guess, a little bit cynical about it and just, uh, I don't know. My process is, is a little artificial still, I'd say. Yeah. Like it's a little, yeah. I don't know. No, fair enough. I have a question about, um, so you said you're 33, so you grew yeah. up in the time where the internet came in, yeah. YouTube comes around, yeah. and you seem to like latch on to that fairly quickly, right? It's a place where you review yeah. a TV show that you loved growing up as a kid, adding hilarious commentary to it. I watched many of these episodes. Oh, thanks. It's really funny. Um, how, what was that like for you to be like, hey, I'm gonna start up YouTube, there's something there. Did you see someone on there that you were like, oh, I like what they're doing? Was there anyone that kind of drew you into that? Yes, and I wish I could remember his name. <laughs> That's gonna be <laughs> It was, oh, it's going to kill me. I'll, I'll think of it after this. Yeah, sure. For, sure, for sure. But he's, uh, he was, like, again, nothing to, not usually an interest of mine, but he was, like, all about, like, celebrity kind of gossip. Jeffrey something, maybe? Okay. I don't remember, but just, like, a larger yeah. than life. He was in maybe in his late 30s, early 40s, sure. like, older guy for YouTube. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but, yeah, definitely got there in the first couple years of YouTube. And I remember thinking um, that that was such a cool way to kind of, uh, curate your own content right totally. without having to coming from university which i think was when i started my channel you get really used to having to be reliant on a big group of people to do anything artistic yeah right or you're just like on other people's schedules and everyone gets input and and i was like i you know I, you have to have a little bit of ego in it too like i think i remember at the time being like i think i'm funny enough to try this yeah, right like right. one of my friends would get together and you'd watch a crappy movie and make fun of it and like yeah see the kind of banter you can come up with so i remembered really that was the biggest impetus was like i want something that i have full creative control over where i get to like edit the comedic beats practice editing was part of it too for nice. me it's funny um, <laughs> yeah and web series were starting to come up so i think i had kind of an eye to like uh, eventually doing that and yeah. so I wanted to be able to practice like well how good can I get the video and audio and how well can I master the editing kind of part of it yeah um 
But genuinely, genuinely, I don't think I ever had ambitions to, like, be successful, quote-unquote, on YouTube. Right. Because the format I was working with was, like, the opposite of what people recommend to be successful. Yeah, with, yeah. Where it's, like, keep them under two minutes and be, I think we find we're, like, 12 minutes of this, like, <laughs> rambling nonsense about a show that most people haven't heard of. Like, right. you know, like, right. nothing about it screams right. success. So right. I think it really was more for for me and my friends. But you found a following. Like, you have a lot of people that are commenting on there and engaging. Like, yeah. even if it's a small community, you dug out a piece of that. Yeah. And that's totally, that's what kept me going. I'm still doing it. I mean, I do yeah. maybe one a year now, but like, yeah, uh, yeah the, it, I do them out of this almost guilt for this really awesome group of people who have followed me now for a decade That's on this awesome. channel <laughs> who have like this weird passion for this show. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's hard to, uh, say no to that. And again, it is a bit of like an ego feeding thing, right? It's a nice way to, when things are slow, get a bit of confidence and right. like, oh, totally. practice being in front of a camera and knowing what you look like. And yeah, you know, I also, I should say I've gotten in some trouble, not trouble, but recently I've had people write me because I took down about a third of, my videos okay. because I've evolved I think as a person For because sure. so much of those videos are in my control the language is also my control and yeah. I said things and you know For sure. put yeah. some things out there that now are pretty insensitive yeah. especially since I, I got cast in something that was pretty um, uh, liberal and kind of forward yeah. thinking yeah. and progressive and I yeah. was like I would hate for anyone I'm involved with now you know, as part of this show to see me saying these things that I regret. Right. And I have the ability to now take them out of there. So yeah. it, I won't say YouTube got me into a bit of trouble, but it's like when you have access to something like that, that's all you and you have no one to fall back on to be like, I was just reading a script. Like it's yeah, all me. Yeah. So any opinions I was throwing out there yeah. in any ways I might've changed as a person, I really have to be cautious about it. With great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm not, you know, I'm not, I guess it could be seen as kind of trying to, trying to erase things that I've said in the past. I wanted to make a video kind of addressing them head on and just be mm. like, listen, I've evolved as a person. I mm. said certain things, but I just took them down because part I'm like, it's not worth it to me. If one person sees those and is really offended by them, and I have I can't stand behind what I said. I have offensive jokes on there that I'll stand behind. Yeah. yeah if I sure. if I'm like, well, no, no, this is the this is where it's coming from. Yeah. Yeah. But there's certain things like I know I couldn't do that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I yeah. think there's that's been a movement too for oh, a while yeah. now where people are just keeping everyone else in check and yeah. you yeah. have to go back years and years yeah. and years like, oh, what did I say when I was 17, 18? And it should like the the Kevin, yeah. the Kevin Hart tweet thing when he yeah. lost his job yeah. at the Oscars. I stood on the side of like. That what a what a like wonderful opportunity, especially from I think the community he comes from, where he's speaking for a lot of people who I think would have said and probably still would say the same thing he yeah. said when he tweeted that. Yeah. What a wonderful opportunity to have that discussion for him. All he had to say was, I said that, I've evolved, I apologize, yeah. here's what I think now. Right. He didn't say that. Instead he doubled down and right. that became like, Okay, well then that then that's really what you believe and now you have to deal with the repercussions of that, you know, like, yeah. and in the same way, if someone were to confront me about something, I'd say I, w I would either stand behind it yeah. and deal with those consequences or explain how I've evolved, right. apologize and try and move on. Totally. You know? yeah. And like that kind of conversation too, kind of relating that back to like where you grew up in somewhere like Alberta, which maybe isn't as, you know, liberal forward thinking progressive yeah. as somewhere like Vancouver. Yeah. How does those, how do those two worlds play in your life a little bit now that you have kind of, you know, moved over here, started a new life? Yeah. Like, is that a, a conversation or something that you know, speaks to you at all? It's, yes. He, I could talk for hours. About that. <laughs> yeah. I've been thinking a lot about that recently because, um, so I'm gay and I grew up, you know, in, in rural Alberta and came sure. out, I think, quite late in life uh, mm -hmm. by, by today's standards. And, um, yeah, it's growing up in a place like that, I had it easy. Like, I can't even express to you. My family, are, like, I should have come out when I was 10. Like, my family cool. are wonderful. And, cool. and all my friends, like, I really, really haven't faced a lot of adversity. Mm. That being said, what I'm seeing now is, like, the really um, below-the-surface things that happen when you grow up in a place like Alberta and you're queer that you don't realize are happening. Things that you self-regulate. Like, things I wouldn't allow, allow myself to express, even just subconsciously. 
that as an actor now manifest themselves in weird Interesting. ways. Interesting. Uh, you know, like the way that I speak and the way that I carry myself, not to say that it isn't authentic, yeah. but I kind of made a joke when I first moved out here that every year that passed I would get gayer because I just was like, <laughs> yeah, but, you're, but like it's true. Yeah, I'm, you sure. know, yeah. I don't, I don't realize these things, but like going to a, a Mormon majority high school, you know, I'm like very aware, even getting into drama, I didn't do theater in grade 10 because I was like, mortified of what that might interesting hint to people ah, about me right? right so like you start to self-regulate and um and now i see that it, you know in doing voiceover and stuff like that too i tend to get cast as like uh guys guys and i'm doing these like football spots and stuff. <laughs> like, i don't know i just i i look back on it and kind of like i wonder how much reprogramming i'm doing now where i'm where there are some there are, there's still some holdovers in how i present myself that I'm where I'm trying to pass or I'm trying to, you know, things that might not be authentic to me. Right. And it, it's, it's its own separate conversation totally. for actors, yeah. right? Sexuality aside, uh, actors are always, always have to be aware of how they present themselves and how yeah. they're perceived as themselves naturally and what they want to put on. If you're a big burly guy mm-hmm. and you have a high voice, those things are at odds with each other. Right. So it's like, if you're trying to brand yourself as an actor, you might right. want to be that big burly guy and you're going to put on kind of an artificial thing because that's an easier thing to sell, right? Totally. So it, that's, it's, yeah, as an actor, you're kind of always aware of those things. I think when you add in the sexuality, it adds this layer of like, oh, how much of that am I doing as an actor? Yeah. I'm wanting to play neutral now or I'm wanting to be able to play straight characters right. who have, you know, girlfriends yeah. and stuff, believably. Yeah. Uh, I've been very fortunate, all that being said, that in the last three or four years... There's a lot of gay roles now, and I yeah. happen to get in the room for a lot of them. I don't, I don't, I don't know if it's because of my sexuality, but like, it's certainly given me perspective on like, maybe there's, maybe I'm more comfortable now because I'm no longer scared that if I'm 100% authentically myself, I'm, I'm closing doors, right? Character-wise, mm. now I'm kind of like, oh yeah, there's, there's roles for a lot of people, and I'm. Uh, fortunate I guess to be a white guy because yeah. there's automatically going to be more roles for me right, the fact yeah. that there's gay roles that are white guys you know yeah like, totally yeah. you know what I'm totally. saying I'm not I'm, I'm still in a very lucky spot yeah very well said and articulated too I feel like your self-awareness for where you are now yeah. seems to be a lot greater than maybe where it was even five six ten totally. years ago right? yeah but I it's, speaking back to your question about the yeah. Alberta thing I didn't yeah. come out to my agent and it was like, it was a conscious choice when I moved here yeah. because I was like, not that I thought she would be adverse to it, yeah, totally. but there's this part of me that I'm like, well, if I was an agent and I had a client that was gay, I might not send them out for a role that was like the boyfriend or right. the husband right. of a woman right? because, I, not, you know, like not, not even that I might think my client couldn't play that role, yeah. but like... Like I was saying earlier, you get cast as an extension of yourself, and mm-hmm. there's certain things that just get read on camera sometimes. Yeah. And actors coming out, it can still, as as far as we progressed as a society, it can still be poison to, to some people's careers. Yeah, I shouldn't say poison. There are queer roles being written. But even like you look at someone like uh, Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah, right. He was cast as like notorious womanizer. Yeah. But I think he was cast as that before he was really publicly Interesting. out. Interesting. And I wonder yeah. if he was publicly out... I mean, that's a sitcom example, right. but like, if, if you're a queer actor nowadays getting cast as a love interest in a show, you know, for women where this role is meant to be this kind of like aspirational, you know, right. the boyfriend is this handsome guy. You're like, yep. for, the, for, for it to be in the audience's mind that that's a queer actor yeah. might just be that thing that jars the whole show a bit, right? You know? Right. So, yep. yeah, I don't know. I was really cautious with it at first. Yeah. Um, and now I'm kind of like, I'd rather have my agents know exactly who I am. Cool. And uh, I'm really lucky I've landed with the agents I have because they, I think they they get me in that way. Mm-hmm. They're sending me out for roles that I, that are, again, queer. That I'm lucky to be able to even have those roles to go out for. Totally. Um, but I think they also trust me to just be an actor and, and they trust the casting directors to see me as 
whatever they want to see me. And as. from your perspective, it like those um, details don't really matter as much to you. You'd rather like act in things yeah. where it's surrounded by a good cast mm. and a good director and people that totally. you know where there's success and that yeah. can level up your career. And those those details you don't want to be locked down by you know, no. specific roles, just like any actor that's out there for any reason. Totally. Yeah, and to and to be able to just be yourself on yeah. set and yeah. like and. Uh, Again, I'm, I don't want to like paint a picture like I'm. Yeah. I know I, like the I'm being myself right now. Yeah, it's not totally. like a crazier no. version of me. But like when you're when you're self conscious about it in any way, and you're just again kind of self regulating totally. how you're speaking and what you're putting out there, and I think it. I I think a lot of what maybe hindered some of my success in the first couple of years here maybe was attributed a bit to that. I was mm, going and wanting to project something, but again, I should. I don't think I should attribute that directly to the sexuality thing. I think no. that's every actor. You go in thinking you project a certain thing. And I think the people who are successful in this industry learn what they naturally project and they get really good at naturally projecting that as right. opposed to layering on these, what do they want from me? Or right. how do they want me to seem? And how do they want me to be? Be like, no, if you can really authentically be yourself mm. and do that really well, that's going to read like crazy. Totally. There, there's some wisdom in there. Have you had like people that are close to you that have mentored you in how you can think about that in the right way? Because being an actor that's coming on and having all these people maybe projecting how they want you to be a director, showing you how they want a role to act, yeah. and getting all these different layers kind of adding on. Is this something that's just naturally evolved? for you or have there been some key people in your life that have helped you see that that way yeah it's you know what a lot of it I don't say it's like deprogramming from theater but theater is a lot of that not artifice but like the bigger you are and the more you can attack a role and really like give it your all you kind of like you learn to I don't know layer on top of character with film I think it is a bit of for me it was a bit of trial and error just learning like I said I look back on auditions from my first couple of years here and like it's <laughs> like when you're so inundated with just wanting to book the role so badly yeah. you're just gonna you're gonna push for what you think they want yeah. and it ends up being this like neutral kind of nothing you're not making any choice because you're scared that, any, that you might make the wrong one Interesting. you try and yeah. play the most the safest thing you can do and I think a little bit through trial and error figuring out eventually breaking through some barriers getting some roles and seeing like oh that worked and that works and these are the type of roles I'm getting yeah and just then you just get confidence you start to go in and be like you learn that too especially with like commercials when you're getting started that a lot of what they want is you they want your personality and your charisma not you pretending to be this thing because the camera's going to capture that right yeah, away. Yeah, totally. As far as people, and that comes with it too, right? I, I, I could speak to a dozen people probably, but you meet other actors and directors and writers along the way who I think, again, you hear about their experiences, you hear about the types of roles they play. Yeah. Um, I worked with a, this wonderful actor in town, Enid Ray Adams, uh, on the show. We played neighbors, and she's just she's been in the industry a while, and this was this was a big opportunity for her this show as well. So we were kind of both in the same boat, and we chatted a lot about that and a lot about the industry and how this has happened for us. And she's someone who is in a totally di- she's a different age than me, different gender. We've ne- you know couldn't yeah. be going out for for couldn't have had more different career trajectories. But the universal thing was, I think she's really tapped into what she does well. She's really acutely aware of where her niche is in this industry. Her agents know that too. Mm -hmm. And so she knows when she's good for a role and she knows exactly what to do to project that. Interesting. She does, she plays kind of like a Molly Shannon, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Mary Louise Parker. Like she's just like this funny mom. Yeah. And she knows that. And so anytime a funny mom role comes up, she's just like dynamite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, that's just an example. And I see that and I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, that's where you want to get. You want to yeah. get to a point at our level anyway. Right. Where, yeah, you know your strengths really well. Yeah. Uh, and now you've dipped your feet in both reoccurring cast member and kind of day plane. I don't know. I know a lot of uh, even smaller roles will have like, you'll come to set a few days in a row, mm-hmm. even for smaller roles. Um, but there's some that you're just day playing on a show. Yeah. What's like the, what would you say is like the biggest difference as like a recurring cast member and just day playing on a show besides obviously like com- coming to set every single day? Like what, what are yeah. some of the biggest differences with that? Well, the recurring thing's pretty new to me. Like okay. I got my first recurring role on a kid's show called Project MC Squared right. for Netflix maybe four years ago. Uh, 
And it, that was recurring, but it was for, I was like the villain for a season. So it was mm. for six episodes. I knew that was like the end of it, right? Mm. Um, and then, and Yumi Her yeah. was the most recent one, and that was last year. Right. Uh, the biggest difference, I think, for me is, I mean, you, you're, you're, you get a whole arc, right? Mm. So there's less pressure on you to, in one scene, in a couple lines, do what you can do, right? Mm. You have the freedom, knowing you have this whole character arc, to just like play it a bit more right. naturally and a bit you, you can like kind of settle into a role a bit more mm, I guess yeah. um, the, with that comes the pressure to like keep it consistent right you do have to be a bit more cautious of making the same kinds of choices for that character on a day to day basis right. whereas if you're popping in for the day you know you yeah. can be influenced by how you feel that day <laughs> you, know, yeah. like, you know the choices you want to make in the moment right. yeah. whereas like for something like for you me her we would block shoot so I might first day we might be shooting something in episode 8 and so you have to be really aware of tracking like oh, where yeah. and I mean I mean my character in Yumi Her doesn't have that crazy of a trajectory. <laughs> he starts as kind of a cynical asshole and he ends as kind of a cynical <laughs> asshole. You know, it's not like I have this incredible growth or something. So right. it's all within the same kind of realm. But it's, yeah, something to think about. Right. Whereas if you're popping in for a day, you really kind of, you can play and whatever it ends it's up. It's probably pretty exciting to do a uh, day playing, hey, I'd imagine. It is, yeah. yeah. You know what? I, I mean, besides the fact that you get some consistent work, the yeah. recurring character thing was like, that was like my number one career goal right with just in that I'm like the idea that you have a character that's yours yeah. and it's being written for and you get to like read the new script and be like what's gonna happen mm. this time and I mm. love like the thrill of that is awesome it's great to be able to play a new character and pop in for the day but to be a part of like a cast where you it, it brought me back to theater a little bit the, the, what I liked about theater is that kind of like the team effort of it where you get to know yeah. these people pretty intimately and work with them and uh, um, the day player thing is nice because you get to meet new people and you get to you know it's one and done and you're out and you're good and it's a blast Yeah. but you're sometimes jumping into that environment that exists where there's this family of cast and you're there for the day and yeah. it can sometimes feel like you're this stranger yeah. in their land and it's I've had some misses like I've had some experiences <laughs> where I walked away like ugh yeah, it seemed really unfriendly, and I don't. It's not their fault. They're they're in their own rhythm, right? Right. And you're popping in, and they right. meet seven new day players every day. So yeah. they're it's not on them to welcome every single person all the yeah. time. Yeah, I bet it could be kind of overwhelming sometimes too, depending on how big the show is. Like, well, your your most recent one was Legends of Tomorrow. Yes. Or, okay. Yeah, cool. I just yes, that's aired. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. That must have been really exciting to be. It was on. awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was, was really awesome. Show. Yeah, and I, it was a really cool role because it was I was playing the director of a documentary, um, so I actually got to be there every day for the episode over two weeks, and they had me even when I wasn't on camera, being the focal point for these one-on-one -on -one talking head interviews cool. with the actors. That's so smart. like I got to work with like Brandon Routh and just yeah. like improvise because yeah. they they didn't use ninety-five percent yeah. of it, which in <laughs> retrospect I was like. <laughs> I was like here for eight hours to not appear and not be heard and not anything, right? Anyone could have done this, but yeah. they wanted to establish because I was directing this documentary that uh, and appeared on camera a few times. Yeah. They wanted the actors to know me as the director. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that was awesome, and it yeah. was it was I was there long enough to feel a bit integrated. I got to meet and work with every one of them. Right. Uh, even though it was just a one episode kind of guest star thing. Right. How much have, have these roles like changed the way that you've watched TV shows and movies? Like, are you able to watch them the same way? No. Obviously it's kind of tough because you you know how the sausage is made. So it's yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, it's made me more critical because sure. there are still movies that I watch where I get totally wrapped up in it and forget. Mm. And that's the mark of one to me that is like flawlessly performed. Mm. I just watched yesterday this movie called Train to Busan. Mm. Okay. It's like a South Korean zombie movie, which okay. like zombie movies are not my I like horror movies. Zombies that's kinda not my not my thing, but man, it was amazing. And that is an example of one where I just am like, yeah, totally wrapped up in it. And you forget you forget it's a camera and the yeah. set and these are actors who are taking lunch breaks just yeah. before they shot. You know, like <laughs> Commercials were ruined for me, for yeah. sure. <laughs> Most, like, kind of CW and Hallmark. Like, the, the bread and butter of Vancouver, I think, has been ruined for me because yeah. you see a lot of familiar locations, you see a lot of familiar actors yeah. and faces, 
commercials, all I see is what was the breakdown for this character when mm. you went out for it. It's like immediate when you watch a, you watch a commercial, it's 30 seconds, and I can already see like this was dad and daughter and coach. <laughs> it's oh, like yeah. you see them as their titles now. Yeah. And you can see the like, you know when they've improvised something comes across that way. And, yeah. 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 I had that most recently in a, in a good way. I had it recently with uh, 1917. I watched that oh, war yeah. film. Yeah. Talk about just a, a feeling of just being immersed in the movie really? and like, you, have you seen it yet or no? No, I haven't. No. It's it's phenomenal. I don't know if you know much about like the way it was filmed, but it, it makes it look like it's all one take, oh, and crazy. it just draws you in. And it's it's I, that's like one of my favorite kinds of filmmaking. Yeah. It's really really cool, and you just kind of forget that you're in your own world, and you just get like I I feel like I I didn't blink for like five minutes straight during a few scenes. Like it was just like that's, so that's rare too for like a period drama too, because yeah. you, that kind of thing could really draw you out if there's costumes that are unfamiliar and mm. you know like. It can look like a set. Yeah. If it's, if it's you know. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It was a pretty. I would say it was one of my favorite films of last year. What would you say that there was like a pretty influential film of like maybe the past, even twenty nineteen, like a really powerful movie that kind of inspired you? Uh, to go back to South Korea, I saw Parasite. Um, oh, most yes, recently yes. before this zombie movie and I was like blown away by that that movie's crazy yeah, yeah. which like I know every, I think everybody I hope everybody loved it it was unreal but, have you uh, seen it? I have not no oh, I went in knowing nothing about it and it was just like me too just yeah. storytelling wise so compelling and weird and just yeah it's exactly kind of what I like in a Film. Have you watched many subtitled movies, or is that like kind of one of your first yeah. ones? No, I've seen a lot, but I yeah, I kind of it, yeah, I, I, I didn't clock it at the time, mm. which again I think is a mark of it being effective. Yeah, well, I thought it helped because I I found it kind of drew me. In. It makes you pay attention, and mm -hmm. I actually knew exactly what was happening all the time. And I'm like, wow, subtitles actually kind of help because you're not on your phone half the time, and yeah. like you're actually following it. Yeah, yeah, that was a really cool movie. It's interesting too watching a movie like that, uh, watching a foreign language film. And trying to like interpret the acting because mm. it was really funny. When I'm not, I'm sure like the cadence and stuff is all still different. The way that they're delivering their lines is it's you know yeah, but it had like language, a dark thing to it. And you're yeah, like, oh, man. you can still read emotions in the same yeah. way. And there's With some the like twists. universal things yeah. on camera that mm. will come across regardless. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a perfect example of a movie that's best to go into not knowing a thing about. I didn't I, like you. Yeah. I had no idea what it was about. Didn't watch a trailer. I'm like. I've heard it's the best film of the decade. Yeah. I'm just going to watch it. I'm like, holy crap, it's this one of those movie's genre crazy. Lists, like, yeah. the whole time you're trying to place it and yeah. compare it to anything else. And yeah. It's, yeah, well, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> Have we sold it yet? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're not getting paid. Yeah. <laughs> wow. This episode's sponsored by yeah, Parasite, exactly. the movie. Better than the trailer right there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I had a question. Um, so you were on uh, You, Me, and Her. Yeah. And uh, so you, you come on in a later season. Was it season six or five? I was on for season four, four. And then season five, we just filmed over the summer. And you were in that as well? Yes. And then nice. that's it. That we're done now. Okay. Yeah. So what was that like? Because you talked a little bit about how sometimes you can come on and there's a family already established. Yeah. And you have to figure out your way to get integrated into this group. Yeah. What was it like coming onto that set, coming in after a few seasons have already been filmed? It was great. It yeah. was great because uh, we were in of a unique circumstance so we were playing their neighbors but their neighbors in the first three seasons uh i don't know if they were written out but they i think someone was unavailable okay. so essentially we were replacements for characters oh yeah. i mean really i think at the end of the day i don't think the writer would say that but yeah, like yeah i think that's what it was it seemed to be that right um so we were kind of jumping in to fill a bit of a narrative void, maybe. Okay. So, and, and we knew we were going to be there for 10 episodes. We knew there was another season. Not necessarily we were going to be in that season, but right. like we were narratively integrated. Nice. So automatically, I think, the you know, we're at table reads and the cat, we're treated as cast members. Right. So, um, yeah, we, it didn't feel like we were strangers. Also with that show, I mean... I think every actor says who's on a recurring show, but like that cast, they're unreal. They're <laughs> like, especially the three leads, but also like the other people who had been on board for several seasons. A, a lot of Vancouver actors too. Yeah. Well, so they're people who like get it. They're gigging like it. we are. I was auditioning against these people too. You know, yeah. like yeah. They're, they're in the game with us. Nice. They're by no means. The three leads are definitely we're yeah. at a different level in their careers and, yeah. and living in different places. And yeah. Um, but yeah, incredibly welcoming. Uh, 
so so I didn't yeah we didn't get that kind of stranger vibe cool. I didn't anyways like I should speak for myself but, and, yeah. and I noticed in one of the interviews you talked a little bit about working with like Rachel Blanchard yeah. and how she has been someone that you've looked at in the industry as someone that you've looked up to completely yeah well she's an already afraid of the dark so yeah like that was like <laughs> for me I was like that was the first thing I noted what right. I was auditioning for it was just like can you imagine yeah and I couldn't help myself I've done this twice now I like with actors that I like respect. Where I'm like, oh, I really shouldn't say this thing, and it's the first thing I say. Yeah. <laughs> and with her, I was like, she's not gonna give a shit that I review. Are you afraid of the dark? And yeah. like, I remember day one. Yeah. Talking to her, actually, we were talking about Are You Afraid of the Dark and how that show, for its time, was really great at like representation. Interesting. The show in right. like the like right. late '80s, early '90s had a group of like mostly people of color. Yeah. These kids yeah. and like a uh, unspoken kind of queer character, and there just was like. It was, like, incredibly diverse. So that came up, and then I inevitably was like, I reviewed the show on YouTube. And she was, like, <laughs> very nice, but just like, okay, yeah, great. Like, yeah. <laughs> what do you want me to do with that? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And then... Uh, the Did day, you subscribe, or...? No way. Yeah. <laughs> also, I was like, why am I drawing attention to this thing that I've already, like, actively taken down videos? I, I watched every one of them to make sure I didn't say anything crappy about her, wow. specifically. <laughs> Because uh, I knew there'd be someone on Twitter or whatever that would be like at her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, Look at this video of your <laughs> co-star. Yeah. Um, the other day I worked with uh, on Nancy Drew. Worked with Adam Beach, okay. which my name on Google autocorrects to Adam Beach, oh. no matter how many times you type it. Yeah. Not it's a non-fact. Yeah. First thing I told him, and he was like, "Okay, yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like, to stop yourself." Yeah. <laughs> Oh man! So you're working on that, uh, and your character on there is kind of like sassy, witty, quick yeah. one-liners. Like you always have something to respond with. Yeah. Do you find that like I've I've read some of your tweets on Twitter too, and you seem to have like a lot of those kind of thoughts throughout the day. Yeah. That are just like these quick, witty like spurts. So do you feel like you could really play kind of yourself in that role a little totally. bit? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It was like the first thing my family said to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very supportive, but a lot of my friends and family were like, "Oh yeah, that's like it's so you." Yeah. Yeah, and there's certain um, roles. I think again, once you, I, and I'm still working on it. I'm there. I'm by no means like there, but the more you can identify who you are and what you project, if you're lucky enough for a role to come along mm. that like speaks the way you speak. Yeah. And John Scott Shepard, who writes You, Me, Her. Yeah. It, the whole script I can read in in, in your my voice. Yeah. Like it is that yeah. kind of like clipped, quick. Um, sarcastic thing yeah uh, i actually originally auditioned on that show to play marty who's like the nice husband okay who's described as a martha stewart type and i remember <laughs> reading that and then you go down and see the other breakdowns of the other characters they're casting and you see his husband yeah. who's described as like a billy eichner-esque realtor who's sharp-tongued and i was just like oh yeah. <laughs> i should probably so i auditioned for marty i put i put on hold for marty and then they were doing chemistry reads um for three of us to play the two characters and I was reading for both, so I got to read for Will, who I ended up playing, and then also for Marty, who was paired with different husbands for the chemistry read. And even in the in the audition, I was like, I'm not getting cast as the nice one. Like, yeah, surely yeah. they've read this by yeah. now, but yeah. like, that's just not a, I don't get cast as that. Right. Like, cast as like a, yeah, a meanie. Totally. <laughs> like, yeah. it's just what it is. I aspire to play nice characters yeah. one day, but yeah. like, where I sit right now tends to be comedic and, uh unfriendly and you even played like a villain at one point yeah right like i saw that in your demo reel where there's a snippet of you yeah um so we'll, like you talked about like maybe one day you'll be able to switch over but if that's like connecting with you and vibing with you right now oh, like i love it just I, double down on that for yeah a bit, you know? i the, you know what the villain thing has followed me the villain thing i did in theater too like, okay. i tend to yeah whatever it is yeah. that i project i'm like embracing it yeah villains are cool yeah They're, they tend to be interesting characters yeah. and so if i can do that for the rest of my career i'd be thrilled any villain any villains in uh like bigger blockbusters even miniseries that you look at that you're like that guy's got it i one day want to be a little bit more like them that's a very good question i you know for the longest time as much as i'm not doing theater now yeah. i remember iago and othello being mm. like that's the kind of role i'd like to play at some point yeah i'm trying to think there's only really bad film adaptations of that, I think. But, <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think what, what there would be, like what shows I'm kind of watching now. There's got to be something in like Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah. I tend most to, of those characters. <laughs> yeah, I tend to land in like the kind of um, 
uh, high status villains. So like I for a while there, and I think still I tend to play like rich people's kids, like right. shitty, like yeah. Eric Trump types, which right. is like <laughs> too bad. But right. <laughs> <laughs> but again, if there's a market for it, then totally. Cool. But yeah, like Project MC Squared, I was a villain in that, and that yeah, was right. like. I ended up being the kid of the real villain, mm. and my whole reason of being a villain was trying to impress my father. Which right. I'm like, that, yeah, this yeah. this tracks not to my real life, but like, right. yeah. Yeah. yeah, but um, yeah, hopefully not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah. I, I, uh, I, yeah, I'd be thrilled. I guess in Yumi Her, I'm kind of a villain if there is a villain in that show, right? Of the neighborhood, in a way. Yeah. yeah. But it's that it's the kind of self um, self aware villain. Who kind of is uh, I don't know. Not not like purposefully evil, yeah. but knowingly mean, I guess. You talked also about how when you're on a reoccurring role and you get the script for the next episode. Yeah. What is that experience like? Like maybe something that you know you, you recently found out about and and got to experience when you have a character and you kind of have your ideas of like where it might go. Yeah. And then you get the script and. Does it always line up? Does it sometimes take you in these crazy directions that you like? What's that kind of experience like as an actor? I'm trying to remember. So for Yumi Her season four, we, if I remember correctly, we did get the scripts like piecemeal. So we okay. weren't, I think, yeah, we weren't totally sure kind of, I didn't know for sure where my character was headed. Yeah. Uh, for five, we got the whole script Bible. So we got all 10 episodes in one go. Oh, so wow. I kind of see like how the whole season went. Um, for Project MC Squared, that was definitely episode by episode. Okay. And so I knew I was the villain because I'd auditioned with the villain reveal. Right. But I didn't know when that came. So, like, for four of the six episodes, I was the, one of their, like, um, idols. Right. Uh, uh, mentors. And, and, um, so yeah, I guess that was, like, it was cool, kind of the suspense of not knowing when the, when that ball was going to drop. Right. When I got to, like, make that shift. Yeah. Uh, and it was much more fun to play like the nice guy with a secret, right? Right. Um, than it was to play. And I actually think I'm like, I think that sits better with me. I think I'm better at, at that, the mm. kind of like not playing overtly evil because right. that, I look back on those scenes of Project Times just great. Actually, it was a kid show. Yeah. But like, it can be pretty heavy handed. It yeah. falls into the like, I don't know. I start to cringe at myself. Yeah. <laughs> I can't like evil laugh well. Right. Yeah. <laughs> now on, sh- on shows that you've been on do they, because I've heard on a lot of shows just in general, they do, like, they give the actors the lines for the episode, and then the actors are kind of memorizing them the night before, or however long before, and then on the day, they're literally being handed rewrites. Yeah. Does that happen on shows that you're on, too? It did. It, oh, it, that's Not all the time, and it depends on the show and kind of how on top of things they are. There was an instance in, in the first season of Yumi Her I was on, where they, it just rained, and the thing was meant to be outside, so they ended up rewriting it to be inside, um... And wrote in a character. So my husband is now in the scene because they needed a reason for the two characters oh. to be in my house to confront me. <laughs> and so everything changed. And so you're prepared with this scene and there's certain lines I get really married to that yeah. I like. I'm like, ah, oh, I can't wait to get to say that. And you yeah. have this whole rhythm in your head. And then when that shifts, you have to kind of just let it go, right? Yeah. Let it be what it is. And uh, it's taught me to be more flexible with how I memorize things too. Sure. You get something in your mind and you get something in your head and it's hard to break away from that. I did a Hallmark thing a couple years ago where they threw me on the day of maybe a half hour before an entirely new scene that was just me on a veranda talking on a cell phone, but it was a like half page of text and with all names. So like names and places and it was me trying to get this detective and and relaying all this information and I'm not great with memorizing. Yeah. If I'm given... 48 hours, I'm fine in like an audition circumstance, but I'm not good with it. And especially if I'm nervous. So, but that was for some reason, just like, I don't know. I I think when the pressure's on, you just do it. I think you can just rise to it. What's your process with that, with memorizing lines, just in general, like, do you have a method? Um, I do. It kind of depends. I'm much, dialogue is fine for me. It's when it's a, when a block of text comes up, like a monologue, which is rare, I think in film, but, um, yeah, there's different things. I'll write out my lines. I have kind of like an ongoing word document where I'll write my sides and I kind of block them into, um, I don't know what the word is, like almost like verses. Like if there's one chunk of thought, I'll kind of section that off and remember that's a piece of it. 
Uh, I run it up just a thousand times. I'll record the other person's dialogue on my phone with space between okay. so I can run it kind of out loud cool. with myself. Nice. And then once I have it down, um, I will block it because I find once you actually have, even just for an audition circumstance, you know where the camera's going to be. You can guess where the reader will be on either side of the camera. It mm. picks eye lines and gestures. And then I find that's easier to relate to the words. Right. To be like, right, I put my hands on my hips for this. Again, my approach is like super, super pragmatic and very like, I'm sure there are like arts people out there just yeah. cringing at this right now. But like, it is... Well, Everyone like, has a different process Yeah, though. and I feel like once you have the words down and you're fine with them and you're, that's no longer in your head, you're no longer like concentrating on the words then it allows you the freedom to like explore interpretation yeah a lot of people i think in theater will go interpretation first and that allows them to memorize the words because if once the impulse is there if they're like right this is what i want from this character mm. then the lines come which totally makes sense to me i just i think i kind of go top down i go the other way right and some some of your first auditions you said that your very first one that you got that movie with you said that you were super nervous but obviously you yeah. evidently kind of nailed because you got it what were some of like maybe like other auditions like like super super nervous or some that you thought you yeah. nailed but then you just didn't get or some that you thought you bombed but then you did get yeah oh that was like the story of my first life <laughs> exactly those two things yeah the tucker the tucker and dale thing right. i uh i think that was just a product of they were looking for college kids they wanted a guy who looked like a stoner <laughs> Again, it was, it was kind of like the right place, right time. And I didn't have all the like pressure of how to do a good film audition. I didn't know about sight lines. I didn't know about where the frame is and what that means or how to tone down my facial expressions or do this or do like, so I didn't, there was very little pressure in a way. I had nothing to lose. I didn't have anyone in my ear, in my head saying, remember this and this and this and all these tips about how to audition. Here's how you nail the role and go in with this and do this and breathe. Like... It was just like, no, you're a college kid, so just do, you know, yeah. how would a college kid say these words? Interesting. Yeah. yeah, so in a way, things like audition classes and stuff can be really helpful and give, it works for certain people to give them tips, but it also adds in all these other thoughts when you're in the room that take away from, you're just a human being in front of a camera. Right. Just say the lines right. naturally. That really is all there is to it in yeah. most circumstances, you know? Right, yeah. But I remember, um, weirdly, there's this kind of like... Uh, poetic end to this but one of my first auditions I was sent out for was for Supernatural mm. again which has been on for 15 years yeah now. this was 10 <laughs> years ago uh in North Vancouver and I was so nervous because it was a like recurring villain I think for the season or for a few episodes at okay. least it was this arc and I just was like it was way too big of a role for me to be going out for with the experience I had like yeah. I, I just <laughs> didn't and it was way over the top like I, I just didn't get the tone of the show again I, I was like too in my head about what they wanted me to be you know like what's a villain on a show about demons and so they want me to be this like so I'm sure I changed my voice and did this thing. it was just huge and I remember there even in the room they were like try it once more and just do way less. <laughs> just tell they're like, okay. And then didn't see me again for years, probably. Yeah. And then the last couple of years had brought me in for a bunch of stuff. And then I just yesterday got cast in Supernatural as a cool. demon. Cool. <laughs> so way. I shoot on Tuesday. Thanks. Yeah, so was like, awesome. It's this really is fun. a nice full circle. It's the last five episodes of the entire series. Right. But it was like, That'll be memorable. Yeah, I got cool. back in there, yeah. same room as when I screwed that up a decade ago. <laughs> and I think I've learned at least enough to have uh, toned things down. A bit. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of like learning things, what would you yeah. what would you say is like the biggest thing that you've learned in like the last five years? <sighs> That's a tough one. Um, I guess just maybe like I think I've gotten better at aud auditioning, and I think. Uh, Part of that is maybe just not getting married to roles, like okay. not taking it incredibly seriously. Yeah. Like, I guess learning the things I can't change about myself, like we kind of were talking about earlier, mm. embrace who I am already, you know, and, and just don't try and hide those things. In fact, kind of try and emphasize them. Right. And I think once that happened, it's hard to attribute it just to that because I think, you know there's been roles that have been great that have been perfect for me there's been roles that like the, the Yumi Her thing I just yeah. was like I knew when I first read it that I'm like well I already I already speak this way so mm. that's really fortunate that that happened so I can't attribute it to just me becoming more comfortable in my own skin and more comfortable in the room uh, it could be that just the right role came along at the right time as well but I think that's a part of it because mm. I've just learned to like act less yeah. <laughs> like it, like 
not to diminish people who act and, yeah. and you know, I, there's people who are extremely proficient at putting on a character. And I consider myself more on the kind of character actor side of things. I'm not playing leads and stuff. Mm. Um, but I guess, yeah, embracing the things I can't change sure. and not trying to change them. Cool. Because for the longest time, trying to do that, trying to give the casting directors their breakdown in their yeah. ex- those exact terms isn't, isn't showing myself at my best. Yeah. And I should take every opportunity in the audition room. This has been said a thousand times, I think, but like, don't always just audition for that role, right? Like present yourself and your interpretation of this text in the best way you can. And if you're not right for this role, the casting directors now see you more as yourself and right. they better suit you to something down the road. You, right. You're more yeah. likely to get in for that role that's more me yeah. than whatever role they brought me in for now. So if I'm not yeah. perfectly suited for it, I'll try my best. I, yeah. you know, I'm not saying I'm yeah. not going to put something on and do my best at it and try and get the role. But like, I know when something's good for me and I know when something's a stretch, I think. Yeah. So in, in a way, you're kind of planting seeds every audition that you do into all these different yeah. casting um, teams. A little bit. Down the line, like you said, you just got a new role for Supernatural that yeah. came years later. Yeah. So as long as you're learning to kind of be yourself and emphasize the things that totally you know, represent you, now those roles are just like yeah. years later going to start. Right? And that's, I mean, that's an interesting example too, because I with with those casting directors for the longest time, the past couple of years, they definitely different casting directors. I think see you as different things based on what they have brought you in for. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is natural. They, you know, they're not going through your demo reel every time. They don't know your career. They know what they've seen you as. Yep. So I got cast for a while with these casting directors as reporters uh, and newscasters, right. which is like wonderful because those ha- those come up a lot, right? Yeah. So I did a couple things last year, a couple of pilots and, and Twilight Zone that were nice. reporters. And I was like, that's just what right. they're seeing me as. Project yeah. Blue Book was a reporter. Right. And I was the same people. Right. Um, which I was very thankful for. At a certain point, I'm like, it'd be great if they could see me as something else. Yeah. And so, but but again, I'm just you are naturally yourself within those roles. Yeah. I'm a reporter, but I'm still gonna sound how I sound. I right. still have a bit of a cadence that can be dry or whatever. Yeah. And so this role that came up for Supernatural is a demon and is this otherworldly thing, but is also dry and sarcastic and funny and right. have, you know has these things that they may have seen me in a little bit with the reporter stuff. So now I have this bigger breadth with them of like. Oh, now they see me as yeah these other things. Speaking of reporters, I don't know if you're allowed to talk about this right now, but I noticed like Republic of Sarah, you're listed as a reporter. On yes, that. that's not something that's yet released. That's something that's it's not, and it won't be. It was a pilot. It was a pilot. Unless they're unless because it says TV movie now on yeah IMDb. Yeah, I, what network was that? It was for CBS. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that was the last pilot season. Um, and, and shot also it casting directors. Oh, no way. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so. You guys shot that already? Yes. Okay. Yeah, we shot it last year in February, but it's okay. listed as, like, announced or pre-production oh, or something. So, like, okay. yeah. I don't know. Is there someone not updating it? It's but... just in production hell right now, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So, it, did, it didn't get picked up. Well, that's too bad. It was an interesting concept for a show, but it was, uh, yeah, just a day. Yeah. Kind of thing. That happens so often, though, I find. Like, I even heard, this is really random, but I even heard that the... The Obi Wan series on Disney Plus. Apparently, that's not officially canned, but it's been like shelved and it's being completely rewritten. Now. Oh, really? <laughs> so yeah, it's like oh, it might not actually happen now for a little while. Yeah, you never know. Like we're we're in an era now, I think, where pilots, even if a, a network orders a pilot and doesn't end up picking it up, there's every chance that somebody else might buy it. I think mm-hmm. I don't know the rules of it. I, yeah, but like. We have all these streaming services now that are yeah. picking up shows in their third and fourth season to finish mm. them off because they know they have a fan base. Exactly. So it's like there's every opportunity for if they do end up finishing that pilot and whatever form, they have all this footage, they have this cast. If they want to remake it into a feature or if they want to retool it into a digital series or sure. something, there's every opportunity for them to do that. Yeah, well, that's a great segue into one of my last questions, actually, just in terms of, like, I guess the future of TV and film. Yeah. Like, now that Netflix, obviously, it's been huge for a while now. Yeah. And even other streaming services, like, you got even Peacock coming out, that NBC is having its own streaming service. Yeah. That's going to roll in the next two years. Yeah. You got Disney+, Plus, Hulu, all these, all the Amazon Prime. What do you think the future is in terms of, like, feeders compared to Netflix? Like, do you think you're going to see a huge drop in attendance at the theater? I mean, I think already people are. And do you, I guess, like that? Do you appreciate the fact that a lot of Netflix shows are sort of taking off? Like, what is your take on that? I certainly do. I, yeah, I think all the streaming services are incredible. It's like, 
opened up this industry like mad for lower budget stuff to get seen. You get this kind of like, um, almost like auteur productions. You get people who have a good idea that it takes one network, or not even network, it takes one streaming service to believe in, sure. to give them enough funding to make it happen. And they're happening without all the network pressure mm. and all the um, uh, advertising pressure. So like on a big network like CBS, there's only a certain kind of content that has to be curated for that because mm. they have sponsors, they have big money flowing into it. A thing like Netflix, you can give somebody the reins to their own show, look at like a Stranger Things or something. Mm. Granted, that's a huge budget, but like they're not beholden to anybody but themselves and their right. own artistic vision. And then it, it amounts to this incredible creative force to be on a show like that too, where you get a lot more leeway to create with these people. And they're, you know, they're still huge productions, but mm. it feels more like... I'm trying to compare it to like theater almost in a way like having a community like in Calgary or Toronto where there's like all of these small startup theater companies and there's a horror theater company mm-hmm. and there's a fantasy theater company and you're like they're small budget mm-hmm. but it gives actors an opportunity to be seen and stuff totally and work their way up from there um, as far as the theater thing goes I actually like I still think there's going to be a market for people to go to the theater right I think it's going to take and it's happening. It's going to take theaters embracing Netflix and embracing the streaming services and taking them as legitimate. Their movies as legitimate. You're seeing it. They're being nominated now. And, yeah, totally. And I, th- I feel like recently it was either Amazon or Netflix like bought a theater in New York that no is strictly way. to show their own movies cool. on the big screen. So like I could see that being the future of things. Interesting. Yeah. So I, I like sm- maybe smaller kind of theater venues, almost like a festival kind of right. Thing, but it gives you a chance to see big productions where they should be seen. Yeah, on a, you know that are meant to be seen on a bigger screen. Right. Yeah, because they even that's interesting you say that because they're even catering to that crowd. Because I I still love seeing movies in theaters. Too, like yeah. you just get such a cool cinematic experience without feeling obligated to check your phone every five minutes. But like because yeah. <laughs> even even The Irishman, it was a Netflix film, but it had a short theatrical run. Yes. Uh, it, I think it played in maybe like one or two, maybe one theater in Vancouver. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was kind of tough to get to just because it was short. But yeah. like, yeah, you see that more. I didn't know that New York has a, a Netflix theater. Yeah, I'm sure something like that. It was, yeah. it was Netflix or Amazon, I think. But um, I think in major city centers, I could see that being a thing because yeah. there's certainly enough content. Oh, totally. They can promote their own. They could do a show, a whole series, yeah. you know, in one night. Well, come yeah, well, I would appreciate that, that a a lot more because a lot of these films like the Irishman like I remember just sitting at home being like oh man yeah. <laughs> I need an intermission but like it was like I would have loved to see it on the big screen though like yeah. there's a lot of movies like that even uh, Cloverfield Paradox that came out like one or two years ago that would have been really cool to see on the big screen completely there's all kinds of movies like that yeah so I, I mean I think that could be I think there's definitely still an audience for it mm. it's a different experience than watching yeah. at home and, and times are changing them, though <laughs> they crazy. are but also I mean Netflix a lot of the series and stuff a lot of it's catered towards people seeing it on a small screen too. So yeah, right, exactly. there is still that content, mm-hmm. but I think if, uh, I think theaters will yeah. always exist. I should I have hope said so. on a recorded <laughs> format. <laughs> this will exist forever. Yeah. <laughs> it's like anything. Yeah, we can, well, I can. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> <laughs> to kind of wrap up, I guess, yeah. uh, what's next for you? Like what, what's the future of 2020 and beyond uh, for Adam coming up here? I mean, who knows? You, you guys have hit me at like the perfect time because it's been a crazy month. Like, cool. I, can't, I just can't explain. The last couple of years have been so fortunate. I'm mm. so lucky to be doing what I'm doing. So I have uh, Yumi Her starts airing in the next couple months. Um, awesome. And the beauty of social media is it'll make me seem busier than I am. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Legends of Tomorrow just aired. I just filmed Nancy Drew last week. And then this week I have, I'm recurring now on uh, this NBC show called Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. Nice. So that will be back for that. On Tuesday, as well as um, what did I just say? Supernatural, right? Cool. Uh, but again, that's all come up in the past five days. So like, Crazy. you don't know. Yeah, um, yeah, that could be it for the year. Yeah. <laughs> what I know is I have a few audiobooks I'll be working on. Nice. And uh, are you allowed to say which ones? The audiobooks? Yeah. Uh, yes, but they're obscure. Oh, okay. So I, yeah, they're, I mean, you can find them, but they're not yeah. like famous authors. Right? Oh, okay. Uh, I've been working on a series that I can remember off the bat called the Logan Dodge Adventure Series. I'm on book seven of eight, I think. Wow. They're, yeah, they're a blast to do. They're super cool. fun. Um, and then some, you know, lesser content. Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. But that kind of comes with it. But yeah, it's, it's sticking around Vancouver and seeing what I can drum up for myself. Right La- last year was my first busy 
pilot season. I used to be incredibly cynical about it and think that didn't really exist in Vancouver. Yeah. But last year, I was like lucky enough to have gotten into a couple things, mm-hmm. um, including this Zoe show that is having me back. So, nice. uh, yeah, who knows? I I've learned to not to kind of expect nothing and be delighted if anything shows up. Yeah. So. I'm working on that. Cool. <laughs> and how many that. how many episodes of Afraid of the Dark are you going to be able to cover this year on YouTube? It depends how busy I am. Yeah. <laughs> if I don't book anything else, maybe a few. Yeah. <laughs> well, we would love to see more because we were watching some before you came. We're like, oh, these are oh, awesome. Yeah. I'm just de- thank you. I'm determined to try and finish them. Every time I do an episode, which again, I was like, I, every episode I do now starts with an apology for how long it's and then me saying, I really do want to finish the series. And I look at how many episodes I have left to do, and I'm like, why would I ever say that? I will legitimately be well into my 40s, I think, by the time I finish. Wow. At which point, a 40-year-old talking about a kid's show from the 80s will be a different dynamic. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What are you going to do? That's funny. Well, cool, man. Well, we really appreciate you coming in. Oh, thanks. Sounds for like you have me. lots of really cool stuff happening in the future. And uh, yeah, it's yeah, awesome. We're excited for you. And yeah, thanks again for coming in. Thanks. Appreciate Good luck it. with the podcast. Thank That's you. Great. Any thanks, part, man. parting words? No, it was awesome to hear your story and kind of like how you've made it in the industry. And just it is a grind. And sometimes you get called back. Sometimes you don't. You try different things. Yeah. It's really cool to hear those yeah. stories now from like an actor that has been through it. And yeah. And now you have some stuff that are starting to you planted seeds in different parts. And now you're starting to get callbacks and starting to get more growing out. So it's it's mm. inspiring, I think, for people that are in this industry that yeah. are kind of struggling right now and kind of trying to figure out, hey, like. Are there people in Vancouver that this is actually working for? Yeah. And for you to, to kind of talk about that, I think, is, is really yeah. I, I mean, I'm like the most cynical person I know, especially <laughs> when it comes to this industry. And yeah. part of that is, I think, self-preservation. You want, again, lowering your expectations. Right. So things like talking about pilot season, that like I just mentioned, I already, you know, I'm negative about it because I had eight years of it being a negative experience for me. I was like, I had to convince myself pilot season didn't amount to anything here for anybody because it was certainly not amounting to anything for me. And then you get that lucky break where, you know, I see the other side of things. So I've been very fortunate the past couple of years. I'm still, I carry with me the cynicism of this may not last forever. So I'm trying to just embrace the good fortune I've had. Mm. And, um, yeah, you know, still put effort into it, still take a bit of credit for it. I know I've worked hard, but, um, a lot of it is just, yeah. Being at the right place at the right time. It's chipping away at my cynicism, I guess is what I need to say. <laughs> so I'm, I'm slowly like having more faith in like, yeah, you can do this. Oh, <laughs> right on. Awesome, dude. Cool. Loved it. Well, hey, thanks again. Yeah, thank you. Actors love nothing more than talking about themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Great way to end it. <laughs> Perfect. Love it.